We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. Feel like Kobe in the fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by ZoneCoverage.com, the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. Um, this is well, our last Thursday podcast of the season, and which is with Charlie and Tom are here. And I don't know, I don't want to do the whole like lengthy thank you thing, but um I, I do want to say thank you to everybody who's you know listened to this podcast throughout the year. I mean, this is the this is the podcast I want to do in the way that I want to do it. And to have you guys all listen to that and to latch onto it has been something really cool for me uh, on just on a personal level. So, so thank you for that. And Tom, thank you for the uh, opportunity, the platform and everything. No, it's been great. I think this has been as a whole, our best year on the site as in content around here. Certainly the basketball is really good. And I think to be honest, it's going to be great next year. Charlie and I are right a little bit more. Yeah. I've been busy. Charlie's been busy. Well, there's, You've been holding down the fort, which has been nice. There's been a lot going on with zone coverage in a good way, and you don't always see what – you don't see at all what's happening behind the scenes, but we're going to have a totally new site and a whole new kind of plan for next year. And so that will be kind of happening over the summer, but you'll really see it uh, in the fall when the, the Timberwolves are back. And what is that, like – Seven months. months. Seven Preseason, though. We, true, true. Yeah. I'm and just I thinking mean, April to October. We'll obviously be hitting on the offseason hard. That's one of my, you know, favorite uh, elements of the of the NBA. So we will we will be doing that for the next kind of month or two as the for the playoffs. As I said on the last podcast, we're just going to be you know, talking about the NBA playoffs. We're going to watch a lot of film and and dig into that. So we hope we 
you do stick with that, um, stick with us during this kind of dead period of Timberwolves basketball, but there is still plenty of NBA basketball to happen. And then, Charlie, I just want to say thank you to you, too, for all the listeners. If you don't know this, Charlie has a, a full-time job and a full-time life outside of this, and it's – as being someone who is in those shoes before, I know it's tricky to carve out – time in, in your life to write and to podcast when you have all the other commitments. So I just want to say, I think you've done a great job too. In um, you're a good partner for me for this. I think the, the perfect one. And we, we similarly align. So thank you for, um, and I think everyone's kind of latched onto you too, and that you're going to be one of the people um, in this market for, for Timberwolves media, which is sweet. Well, I, f- I feel lucky to have been able to work with both of you this year and write for zone coverage and be on this podcast. It's been a pleasure. So thank you both. You're, you're very welcome. And thanks to the listeners. Yeah, right? Okay, we did the thank you thing. <laughs> um, this podcast, we're going we're gonna to go through the roster um, kind of player by player. Charlie's dug up some stats. We've obviously watched them all play 82 games, and we'll, we'll try and move through them um, in a somewhat quick manner. I went through, and I thought it was really interesting to split every player's stats with Tibbs versus with Ryan, which is obvious also breaks down almost exactly to – first half of the season, second half of the season. And some interesting things kind of come to light for the players who massively changed their statistical profile and their game. And then some players stayed almost exactly the same statistically. And I think those, it's a good, uh, I don't know, launch pad for a conversation for for every, every one of those guys. And I know Charlie, you have some stuff too, depending on when you listen to this, I don't know. Ryan Saunders may have been named the full-time coach. We'll have more details on, Scott Layden or whatever. So we're going to talk about that at the end of the podcast uh, in case it's totally irrelevant uh, information <laughs> to, to lead it with. So let's dig into um, the players. Is there, I wanted to put it to Tom to choose what let, position. Let me, to let, me let me ask, uh, you're going to hate me because I'm not even answering your question. Yeah. Let me ask, how, what weight do you put in it between the coaching change? And if this was one coach all year long, you would say, is this like a first, second half player, stuff like that? Like how much do you think it's on because the system didn't change and all that stuff? How much do you think it's on the coaching and how much do you think it's on like the bring context, up Wiggins because Wiggins yeah. played well at the end of the season. We were kind of like, what the hell, man? Well, the, the context of the the situation I think is obviously huge. And, and as a listener, someone who's followed along, you know that the beginning of the season included Jimmy Butler, and, but at the same time it also included – 40 games under Thibodeau where the team's goal was making the playoffs Yeah, and they weren't resting people. They weren't shutting people down. So there's, you, you had a team going for it in the first half. And in the second half, you have changes happening and a team that's trying to win, but going for it in a, in a very different way. So is there weight you put into it? Like, yes, it's, but it's, it's kind of, you know, subjective to obviously subjective to a big degree. And, I think to answer your question, I think it's player by player. I would have a, I would put more or less weight on what did or or didn't happen. I mean, with so many of the players, like Saric, you know, we just haven't hadn't seen much of them, and um, yeah, just it was a, it was an information gathering kind of regardless of of who the coach was. But for some players, it was very different mm-hmm. with Tibbs versus with Ryan. Like I think of Cat being probably oh, yeah. the, the biggest example of that. Whereas someone like Saric, who seems like he's started to play well toward the end of the year more, maybe that's more just about finding a groove, getting comfortable. So this is kind of a tease, but um, it's interesting that Tom said, well, Andrew played way better 
under Ryan, and, and yeah. no, you just said under Daro. And I meant the last ten games. Yeah, yeah. I, well, which I would have agreed. And with I don't too. even know that. That's that was just. It's just it's interesting because those yeah. are the two players that when I went through this, their statistical profiles mm-hmm. are almost identical from under Tibbs versus under Ryan, which is we we could dig into while we get there. There's a lot yeah. of different factors that go into that, but I would have said the same thing. Yeah, you know, before I I did this and. That that kind of means that the, means something. yeah, and the Wiggins one is especially interesting because you'd even think that just these last 10, 15 games would would elevate his stats under Ryan to make them look more appealing, which they kind of do. I saw that you tweeted about yeah. it with Dario. I'm I, I wish I would have looked this up before the podcast, but like the last month especially, not the whole time under Ryan back to January eleventh or whatever, but this last month Dario seems to have especially found some sort of groove. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I would have, and I would say the same thing with Wiggins too. It's just I guess one of those examples of like let's not for firmly latch on to what the numbers yeah. say. Yep. Um well maybe let's just start with like I, I kind of broke down point guards, shooting guards, power forwards, centers. And a lot, lot of power forwards. A lot, lot of power <laughs> forwards. Um let's start with the shooting guards. And, okay. And maybe just do Wiggins there because we, yep. we were just talking about I have Wiggins, Josh Kogi and and Derek Rose um, in this group. So I'll just lay out kind of the the differences in Andrew's numbers, and I'll do this mm-hmm. with each player. But again, they aren't very different. Uh, with Wiggins, he he averaged 18.9 points per game under Ryan, 17.3 under Thibodeau. Uh, an extra point and a half there. Same thing with his rebounds, 5.7 rebounds, 3.9 under Thibodeau. So there, there's a, a little boost there, but if you move down to his more percentages and his metrics, um, under Tibbs he was 34.3 percent from three. Under Ryan, 33.5. Yeah, essentially the same. His true shooting under Thibodeau, which is I'll, I'll say true shooting a lot, and if anyone doesn't know what that means, um, it combines uh, field goal percentage, three point percentage, and free throws. It's the best. It's the best metric to measure shooting in the NBA and. For context, league average is about 56% there. So his true shooting under Thibodeau was 49.4% and under Ryan was 49.3. Oh. Bad <laughs> under uh, bad under both. I would have thought, I would have thought under Ryan that would have been higher. Do you, I, this is distracting, I'm sorry. Do you do you know the numbers for the end of the season? Because I just visually I was like, I, that makes total sense if you look at the whole second half. It's the last the like same, s- dude. Really, the 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 true shooting is here. I, I tweeted it out last night. I'll have to go through that. Just kind of La- last, last ten games or even like five. Forty nine point one. It's the same. Yeah, it's weird that he you just guys- goes like nine of twenty one and maybe <laughs> makes one three. Yeah. And he scores. 20, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and, and I think that's what is, that means. Do you want to hear my, one of my Wiggins stats? Yes. This kind of embodies why his efficiency is so low. So I had two stats for Wiggins. And when I was trying to dig up a stat for every person and trying to make it a little bit emblematic of how their season was, which was tricky because I didn't want to be somebody who's just randomly picking a bad stat for one guy and a good stat for another. <laughs> right. But Andrew Wiggins took 1,209 field goal attempts this year and he scored 1,321 points. The last two players in the NBA to attempt at least 1,200 field goals and score fewer than 1,400 points, Andrew Wiggins this year, Josh Smith in 2013-14, Al Jefferson in 2012-13. That's not a good list. So, yeah, that's why he is so inefficient. He just takes so many field goals to get the points that he does. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, moving on a little bit to his offensive 
uh, and defensive rating. Uh, under Thibodeau, the offense was better with him on the floor than it was uh, as a group. Obviously, he's latched to Cat for about 70% of his minutes, so mm-hmm. it's almost fully explained uh, right there. And then the defense was just slightly worse with him on the floor versus the, the team as a whole. Uh, then under Ryan, uh, the offense was actually noticeably worse when he was on the floor. Uh, it was 109.4 when he played, and as a team, this isn't just off, this is as a team, yep. it was uh, 111.5. So that's a that's a pretty big difference right there, especially because there aren't that many minutes without Wiggins. Exactly. Uh, well, he played thirty six minutes per game yeah. under, under Ryan. Uh, the the net rating is about the same. It's a little bit worse when when Wiggins played. This is under Ryan. Um, minus three point eight under Ryan. Minus three point five as a full team. Hmm. So I, I I am excited about what I saw from from Andrew tepidly. Uh, optimistic uh, about what I saw out of him at the end of the season, but it is important to note that these that the numbers did not increase his efficiency toward, towards the end of the season. I think that's something because I, I will remember, you know, I will remember his good play, particularly in the three games against the Thunder under Saunders. I'll remember those things, but I also want to remember this: yeah, that it's not something to necessarily get carried away with. And nor did his numbers his or his improved play seem to do much for the Wolves' success as a team. I mean, those net rating numbers bear it out, but you'd also kind of hope that they could have won a few more games. Mm-hmm. So to Andrew Wiggins played about 600 minutes without Carl Anthony Towns this year. The Wolves' offensive rating during those minutes was 102.9, defensive rating 108.3, minus 5.3 points per 100 when Wiggins is on the floor and Cat's off the floor. So that's a bad team, like one of the worst teams in the NBA. Yeah, I, I do think though, the way he was used was different, and yep. I do think the way he was used was better. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've said this plenty of times before: the the best way to utilize him is to get him going downhill, yep, moving towards the basket fast, and the best way to do that is to run high pick and rolls, and you saw a lot more of that under under Ryan Saunders in the second half of the season. I, I do think that might be something that he gets better and better at with time. And maybe if we had another 40 games to play this season, you would see the numbers go up because he would get better and better in the pick mm-hmm. and roll. That would be my guess. And so maybe for next season in the first half of the year, if he's used this way, he just will end up taking less of the shots that he's bad at. Yeah. And and that's important. Whoever the coach is next year, I think they will recognize that and do their best to implement it. Yeah, Absolutely. Josh Kogi or Derrick Rose? Uh, Josh, or no, let's do Derrick Rose. You do your Derrick Rose stat first before I rattle him off. Okay, I've got, uh, I've got two Derrick Rose stats, one good, one bad. Good one, Derrick Rose this season, first player in Timberwolves history and first NBA player since 1987-88 to score more than 900 points in fewer than 1,400 minutes of action. Wow. Yeah, so he scored a lot in it without playing very much. Oh. Kind of like your typical gunner off the bench, but he did it really, really well. Huh. Um, under Thibodeau, he played 30 minutes a night. Under Ryan, or that was in 32 games. Under Ryan, he played 23. So his he played less games, and in those games, he played less minutes. That said, he scored more per minute under Ryan than he did under Thibodeau, mm. which is interesting because 
he was not making any threes. Yeah, and he was just hurt, like, yeah. for most of that. So that kind of popped to me. Yeah. Um, the the three-point numbers are startling. Under it's, Ryan, he shot 12.5%. Under Thibodeau, he, he shot 46.2. He was 52 of his first 111 and then two of his last 35. And he started season. off really cold from 3-2. Did he? The like first the first games? like ten games I don't or something. That. Yeah, I remember He's, that. I mean, you wrote about this the the weird angle that shot and that he had the one two step right in order to shoot it. He's crafting his own narrative, but when you hear him talk about it, he said he injured his elbow because he thinks it's related to working on his shot, and he ignored it. Mm-hmm. Again, probably because he's used to having injuries. I mean, I, yeah. it sounds weird, but. And he had bone spurs, so something I think separated. I think that's what that is. I, like, I thought it was interesting that it it wasn't a um, it wasn't like a contact injury. It wasn't like he jammed his elbow or did. It'd something be like a pitcher him. almost. Yeah, I, yeah. That was that was interesting to hear him say that was that Monday earlier. Yeah, this week. yeah, yeah. Um, I guess I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt that he was hurt and that's why he was shooting poorly. I, I think that was and, or, and lost lost confidence. Yeah, too. Yeah, and whatever. He, he also, just stopped shooting him. Regression to the mean is. It hits you fast. He's not a 47% three-point Oh, no, for sure. I for agree sure. with that, but I do think that's a little overblown. Like, I, I think he 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 missed time mm-hmm. and he missed – I'm, I'm not suggesting that with the same health he would have again shot 47%. Yeah. Because there would have been some regression to yeah. mean. But this is so oh, yeah. much farther. Two of 35. Yeah, there was more going on. <laughs> that's what two, but that, he that, was going to yeah. – I mean, he was going to, I think after he was at 47% for like the first three yeah. months, if he would have shot 30% the rest of the year, that would have been great. Yeah. Because he would have ended at like 38%. That would have been great. And that would have, that would have made more sense to As, me. Like, yeah. Th- this is just so, you know, disjointed. Um, continuing along, uh, he, he shot better under Thibodeau versus Ryan Saunders. He's 57% true shooting. Under Thibodeau, 53.3 under Ryan, but his usage was way up under Ryan, which I, I guess makes makes sense in my head. They they relied, when he played, they relied heavily on Derek. How, how many games, I know you said, how many games Tibbs versus Ryan? 32 Tibbs, 19 Ryan. Which is like, I, I mean, looking at the games he's played, mm-hmm. 81 is rookie year, 78, 81. Those are two all-star years, 39 out for a year with the ACL, and it's like 10, 51, 66, 64. Mm-hmm. And they only played 25 the year he came from Cleveland, 51. I mean, it, unfortunately, this is like it, he's 30, you know, and I, I think he's still got a couple good years in him. But you've come to expect this given now it's positive in a weird way. That's his elbow and not his lower body. Mm-hmm. But, unfor- you know, the way he plays and the franticness and just kind of everything adds up to this is a guy that like, you know, this isn't going to go away. I think right. we all know. Yeah, that. this that if he's brought back, which I think of the free agents on the team, I, I other than Ty, of the unrestricted free agents, I think he's the most likely to return. And that's over Taj, At, obviously Bayless, Lang, all them. I mean, I thought about this. He is he is like his own entity. He obviously has the brand, oh. and he famous in China and. He just seems to like operate in his own world. Like the the fact that he said "kill yourself" in the middle of an interview, and you know, some of the yeah, and the some of the language he uses, and just and I think it's authentic. I don't think it's we know what manufactured is. Cat, <laughs> yeah, at, at an extreme. <laughs> but I mean, we also see it with other players who are trying to kind of draw media attention and and all. Yeah, he just is who he is, and I think people really like him because of that. The only thing, I, and some people really dislike him. Yes, too. for sure. There's there, and when I wrote my story, it's so hard to write about Derrick Rose and not be like, I'm really not taking a side. I'm really trying to tell you like what yeah. I thought I saw as someone who 
really enjoys watching Derrick Rose play basketball, but also realizes, I mean, he was wearing an LA Dodgers shirt when he was, you know, uh, doing the interview. He has the Chicago native hat, which is cool. I'm, I, he's proud of there. It sounds like his, his agent is BJ Armstrong, right? Mm-hmm. The ex bulls player. It sounds like he's open to going back to the bulls. I kind of wonder he played in New York before. Like, I wonder if he wants to go to a bigger market and play out these last few years of his career under the biggest spotlight possible. And at the same time, he said he's comfortable here and he said, that's really important. I'm very baffled actually where he's going to end up. And I'd like to see it here. To be my, my assumption is he chooses the place where he's going to have the biggest role. Sure. Where, or, and what he would say is most comfortable. And where people, people, honestly, he wants freedom. I think that's what he wants. Play Derrick Rose basketball. Mm-hmm. That's what I think what he wants. And, yes. And not every team in the league will allow him to do that. And what he has received here is a year and change of being able to do that. Yeah, proof. And so I, I think. The stats back it up, though. His game works. It's frantic and it's, it's unorthodox and it's like not how a 30-year-old basketball player usually plays. So this was really interesting for me is I've kind of rolled with the narrative of he certainly helps the offense and certainly hurts the defense. And I, I do think I still believe that. But in, in the numbers under Thibodeau, the offense was noticeably better with him on the floor, and the defense was exactly the same hmm. from a defensive rating standpoint. And under Ryan... Oh, he was playing on the bench yep. that whole beginning of the year when the bench unit was... Good context. Yeah. And I think this requires context as well is that the offense was almost the same with or without Derek under Ryan and uh, the defense was a lot better yeah. when, when Derek played. The reason that is, is because the defense was awful at the end of the season. Oh and yeah. Derek didn't play. Do you, yeah. do you buy any of Tibbs theory that he's like, you can't quantify Rose that he's like, I, I don't see him as a good defensive player, but it, that he's like disturbing, I guess. Like he's almost like a bug, you know, when he's when they're out there on the perimeter. He's, but, I would just take the other side of that and say he's so bad at defense. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, to I be think, fair, that's what Levine, you can make Levine work, right? As a six man. And in some ways, like Derrick Rose is Levine plus. Yeah. Right? I think if you were a big Derrick Rose fan, you'd say he's playing out of position all year. He'll be better if he's guarding point guards than if he's chasing Clay Thompson around screens. Sure. Guarding shooting guards. But I think the numbers more or less say that he's just like a a positive player. He's not a star anymore, and he's not going to kill your team, but he's just a nice, solid player. He's a positive player if you have the spot for that. Yeah, and the Wolves did this year. It's a six-man. It's how you'd use Levine if Levine was still on the roster, right? Mm -hmm. They'd have a similar role? Yeah, I I would say they're they're, they're different. Levine's a shooter. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying they're the same player, same role or similar role, I guess, is how I thought of it. What I was going to say to the shooter point is... Derek had good three-point shooting numbers. He did not have a high volume of three-point shots. And what you know with Zach is you're getting both good volume and and a high three-point mm-hmm. percentage. And he takes such tough ones. Derek Rose just takes open threes. Exactly. The, yeah. the, and and Zach is still very messy yeah. on, <laughs> on the defensive end, which is also a product of only having played for really crappy teams for, yep. for five years. But. Zach is very much a work in progress at best on on the defensive what you, end. What do you think about? He made a comment that when he entered the league, he had to be like six six to play the two, and yeah. that it's changing. It's, Can you play him at the two in matchups? Or I guess I kind of want to go farther on that point. Yes, there's a lot more teams that are playing, and actually Derek said this too: was are playing two or three point guards at a time, yep. and and that's true. The thing is, is Derek's also bad at guarding point guards. <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, like you can get away. I mean, 
like Lou Williams having an awesome year will win six man of the year. He is an atrocious defender. Yeah. And we're, you're going to see that in the playoffs, that teams will attack that. Mm-hmm. And so there, what I would say to that is it works now to be offensively, be a smaller guard. Defensively, you could, I mean, if they, like what if they played the Warriors in the first round? I mean, so you got Derrick Rose on like Clay Thompson. Yeah. Sean Livingston. I mean, they're just, there are teams who have bigger players. So it would, you know, it, it would be an issue in a, yeah. in a lot of matchups his size. I think there are two more things worth pointing out for Derrick Rose before we move on. Not that we were going to move on. One highlight of the season was his 50-point game on Halloween, at least for me. Oh, it was so cool. That was really, really cool. Uh, another thing is that when all of the Jimmy Butler drama happened, I it's difficult to imagine where the rest of the season would have gone if not for Derrick Rose. If Derrick Rose mm-hmm. hadn't been in that locker room, he seemed to just be... A, like a leader and a calming presence and somebody that the young guys could like see some poise from and realize that this is going to be okay. There, there was a consistency to Derrick Rose and I, we can point to the three point shooting, but other than that, the, he was the same player Tibbs with Butler mm-hmm. Tibbs without Butler to, and totally without Tibbs. Yeah. Like it was, it was very much the same person and the, and the same player he he is an entity, as you put it, Tom, off the court, and he's an entity on the floor as well. He does what he does. I, I was surprised, given his fame, and that, again, I think he's just himself, so I don't think this is fake. He's a very humble person. That, that reputation of he didn't talk much, there's, if you look at the his documentary, there's, like, Joe Kim Noah's, like, yeah. made some joke. He's like, I've never heard you speak or something, you know? Like, <laughs> um, yeah, he's very, and I think, you have to be that to be the ex superstar mm-hmm. because otherwise he can't be competing with cat for the spotlight. I just don't think that's healthy for the team. And that wouldn't be healthy for any team that has a star that wants to bring Derek Rose on as a six man. So he does seem to fit in the NBA at age 30, which I was, that's part of why he was surprised. So helpful as a leader because he pumped cats tires all year. He so helped him through the Jimmy Pat, thing, which you're like, that's crazy. Yeah. And that's then, his, and then know, for the rest teammate. of the year, he'd talk about how cats are a leader Cats, who we play our offense through, Cats, our best player, which on some level after Cat went through hell with Jimmy, he deserved to hear that from someone and to have it be Derrick Rose, the next MVP, who's one of the best players on your team. That's great. Yeah. Did you guys watch Game of Zones? Just did. No, but it's in Wolves based. Oh my God. It's it's my favorite TV show of all time. The funny <laughs> love episode it. of television I've ever the seen. The funny, I thought the part that got me to laugh was right away at the beginning. Sorry for everyone. This isn't great podcast oh, yeah. fodder. Explain Stop it to, listening explain. to the podcast and go watch Game of Zones right now. If you're explain right. it to Tom who didn't see the it. Be- the very beginning, Glenn Taylor and Tom Thibodeau are having dinner, and all of a sudden you hear in the background Jimmy Butler enters and he goes, Who wants to die today? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and it's that practice. But I don't know. I don't like how that makes Jimmy to be like the funny guy and Cat and Wiggins yeah. and O'Coat. Like, that sucks. Jimmy is. He, he's Jimmy Butler, just to pause on that briefly, I actually found him funny at times. Like, there's a goofiness to him that you Absolutely. don't expect for, from an intense guy. I, I believe he's genuinely intense, really like his game. I think the football thing is great that he wears like these college jerseys of pro players that you kind of forgot. Like Todd Gurley was a Georgia player and Jimmy Butler has that sitting in his closet somewhere. I just thought that was cool. Uh, maybe that's literally just me, but uh, <laughs> I but, thought, sorry, go ahead. Well, I just thought a lot of that stuff was endearing when he was on our team on the wolves and when yeah. he was trying. And then as soon as you saw that other yep. side of Jimmy, all of that, all of that stuff that you thought was charismatic just became like felt sour. And, and, and it, felt disingenuous he just he seems to um 
be very selfish. And I think, I think he went from what was like a great story and a guy that could be on any team because of his defense and you'd want to have him in your locker room to kind of keep things loose and at the same time tighten the screws when it really mattered to like what team there's some, the some team's going to give him a bad contract, but what smart team would give him more than two years? What, what team would be like, I know Jimmy Butler, a will be good for four years. B I want him in my locker room for four years. He, he's still a hell of a player. I I agree. I don't know. I think he's 29 or 30 or something. I don't think he's going to, I think he's going to break down at some point. I think he can be a pain in the ass. I I agree with those things. I think a, a team that has believes they have the right culture for him, yeah, can and will pay for him. Maybe they won't give him five years and the one ninety he can make, but they will pay for Jimmy Butler and have the opportunity to have an excellent second player on a team. Can't how much Jimmy can accept that? I don't know. We'll learn a lot. We'll on, learn a lot in the playoffs, but. He still right now is not breaking down, and he has not yeah. lost a step at all this season. And I he's think, not quite as good as he was last year. Different role. Yeah, but I think he, it's that. You you think it's only that? I guess I haven't watched enough Jimmy Butler to. to I mean, he'll be entering his age thirty season. I just think sometimes with players as they get older, we just assume they lose a step, and they I, do eventually fair. lose a step. I and multiple steps, and he will, mm-hmm. and particularly him. He will have the Luol Deng. That will that will happen from the way he plays and the way he was played. But he can still be, is and can still be beyond this season a very dynamic shooting guard for yeah. that I left off of our shooting guard Absolutely. list because he only played ten games. <laughs> Josh Akogi. Um, I remember before the season we did a podcast on the guards, and we did not know who was going to play uh, on the wing, and I, I remember saying at the beginning of the year, and this is partially from my understanding of who Tibbs was, that I thought C.J. Williams yeah. would maybe play a lot, at least at the beginning well, of the year. and C.J. Williams was a Doc Rivers guy. Yeah. Like, there was a lot there. I, th- that just goes to show how big of a question mark it would be as to who else would play on the wing this season. And just with rookies, I mean, they're inherently a wild card. And Josh Kogi from the start, grabbed onto that and took – whatever role he was given, and really blew up in it and proved for an entire season that he is a hell of a defensive player already as a rookie. Um, limitless energy. I've I've never seen that yeah. in, in person. I, it, it's a little bit too much at sometimes, but it's um, There's a frantic, it's There's almost like the Derrick Rose-esque franticness to his game where you kind of like take a breath and mm-hmm. think about what you're doing a little bit. But right. I, I believe that there is something to it, that teammates see that and are energized themselves by it. Um, he's also really funny. Like, I, I love when he does interviews. There's kind yeah, of a – he. I think um, that's a dynamite 20, 20th overall pick. Yeah. This is a, a loaded question for you guys, but given that the Wolves are, you know, at least one big – piece away from taking another jump. Do you think that Josh Okogie has star potential after watching him for one year? Star, let's like call that, it doesn't have to be an all-star, but like at least like that borderline all-star level. Do you the, think he the has The third that guy, potential? that's kind of what you're asking? Yeah, I don't know. That's tough because like if you have LeBron, your third guy can be. So. As currently constructed, I would assume it's it's Cat, it's Covington, mm-hmm. it's Wiggins. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm saying uh, on the current roster. Yeah. Well, Wiggins has the volume of 
the yeah. See so what you're saying is could a Kogi jump Wiggins as it, like the does 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 Josh Kogi's ceiling is that all-star or is it great role player? For, what do you think? For me, and this is something I'm cautious of in myself as I've gotten burned on mm-hmm. numerous times is with young players is I, I struggle to see the jumps that they can make mm-hmm. and that there is – they are not just what you watched them play in their rookie season. And I, I, I part of me knows that, but part of me forgets that a massive change can occur. And what I would say for Josh Okoge is that a massive change would have to occur yeah. for him to be able to be that type of player. I've said this on the podcast before. I am – I do not think that he's ever going to be able to be a good shooter. Yeah. And that's okay. That's okay. If you're a good defender and an average shooter, you're a, a, a yeah. solid good player. I don't think that that is what you're asking the question no. to be. Yeah. I think he would I think he would need to be It's playmaking and shooting, right? Yeah, it, that's he I, needs to add those two things. And actually on my draft night article my comparison was Marcus Smart. Yeah. And I'm proud of that. Yeah. Because I think that is right now the the optimistic I don't want to say ceiling, but if three yeah. years from now he's Marcus Smart, yeah. That's a I mean a first team all NBA defender, all defensive defender, um pretty much every year. Yeah. And, and that maybe brings you up into the the third player. But Marcus Smart isn't what you're describing either. No, no. I'm thinking about you know, the the Wolves only have so many darts to throw at the dartboard right now, and Josh Okogie is one of them. And I'm with you. I don't think Josh Okogie is ever going to be a good three-point shooter. I think he could. Like, mm-hmm. what what do yeah. I know? But if I'm putting my money on it, I don't think he's ever uh, a, an above-average three-point shooter. But maybe, and I feel like the, the, the narrative is that, great, we've got Josh Okogie. He's a great role player. Like, mm-hmm. maybe fifth starter. But I think there's a world. I think there's a world where he does make that yeah. jump. Maybe it's a four percent world, but I think that's worth you know having that be in the in the thought process. What, what I would say to how I think he can be better than Marcus Smart is he has Okogi has shown the ability to to implement some discipline in his usage, the volume of his shots in that sort of way uh, as a rookie. Marcus Smart believes he is an awesome offensive player as well. And it, it comes out in, in his play, and it hurts his play because he shoots more than he should given who his teammates are. Um, and I think Josh Okogie could kind of outmath Marcus Smart in that sort of way by keeping his usage down a little bit offensively and running with the spots that he's good at, which is obviously going to be you know playing in transition and and and, and being the, the energetic type of player, the – I mean, he he has shown. I mean, obviously, elite athleticism that could be tapped into offensively, and I'm I'm interested to see where that can go. I'm I'm not placing a bet that it's going to be at Marcus Smart level or or beyond that yet. But I'm I'm with you. There, yeah. There's a world. There, there's certainly a, yeah. a realistic world that it could be. Mm-hmm. And it was encouraging that he got better this year. He hit the rookie Absolutely. wall for a while, and then he kind of jumped over it, and he improved his playmaking. And he improved his help defense, and to see people improve is just a good sign yep. for their future growth. Just run through his numbers here quickly. He played 20 minutes a game under Tibbs in 32 games. Under Ryan, he played in all 42 games and uh, played 26 and a half minutes. Uh, his scoring kind of stayed the same. 
He rebounded actually a lot less under Ryan. Not too worried about that. Um, his assists were about the same. His shooting under Thibodeau was 24.4%. Under Ryan, it was 29.9%. Uptick. Three-point shooting. Yeah, yeah three-point shooting. Yeah, an, an uptick there. Uh, still well below league average um, at, in true shooting, both under Tibbs and Ryan, but 5% better um, under Ryan. His usage was low in both, uh, in both situations. Uh, and then uh, Akogi begins a trend of the bench players, which you'll see when you look at their offensive and defensive numbers. The players who played with Cat less have far lower offensive ratings and far better defensive yeah. ratings. The team, when Cat plays, the Wolves score a lot more and the opponent scores a lot more. Yeah. So when you look at like Akogi and you look at Tyus and some of those other guys, it's just the numbers are just lower. Yep. Offense is lower and, and, and defense too. And I think some of those those numbers are impacted by the fact that those first 12 games, it was so lopsided how much better the bench played than the starters when Jimmy Butler was here. They yeah. were so they relied on that bench to stay in games. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that influences some of it. But he didn't play True. With yeah. Coving, in that Covington, the, in, when you think about the first half of the year, the, the Covington second unit, mm-hmm. when Covington would come in with the second unit, that's and that's something I'm excited to see next year is absolutely how Covington and Akogi fit together because that has it, defensively the ability to be great. It's yeah. worth noting entering his age 21 season mm-hmm. and he had played the offense had all gone around him in uh, at Georgia Tech. Yep, it seemed like he made that transition mentally, right? That yeah. he didn't he didn't it never seemed like he had to be the star player. Like he needed volume to get going. He isolated very little here himself. Um, there's times he, he lost the ball, struggled to create on his own. But that was, at Georgia Tech, he isolated and created for himself all the time. Yep. And, yeah, I, I I haven't really thought about that. That is a – I thought there would be a lot more Shabazz Muhammad to his offensive game. That there wasn't. And that's a, that's a credit. It's probably the player they were looking for, actually, when they got Shabazz. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Um, and then just from a net rating standpoint, Okogi was a lot better – was a lot better under uh, Thibodeau. And under Ryan, the net rating boosted with him on the floor in both situations a lot. So that's a, for sure, a, I think, a, a credit. And to I him. think that speaks to like that team defense because he was a great, a, a good looking defender at the beginning of the year, but the team didn't defend that well with yep. him because he didn't really get it. He started mm-hmm. to get it throughout the year. Yep. And that, that definitely made a difference. Uh, what are you guys feeling? Point guards, power forwards, or centers? Just do Jeff Teague. Jeff Teague. Okay, we'll start with Jeff. Why? <laughs> I'm just I'm I'm curious because I think in your you wrote about kind of all of Layden's transactions, and that's something maybe for another podcast to sift through a little bit because there's some really great yeah, ones. We'll really go through ones. it at the end here. This might this podcast um, might go a little long, but uh, <laughs> last one of the year. Uh, right. Although we should be clear, we're going to do them during the playoffs, right? So yeah, I thought I made that clear. That you weren't listening at the beginning. I was, I was listening. <laughs> I was listening. I, I don't know. You're, you're crying because I was being so nice. I was, I was heart. He's touching his heart right now. It, it's actually it's I can, blown up. I can give you my. I don't know, Jeff, is that what <laughs> I can give you my one Jeff Teague stat. Yeah, because this was a weird year for Teague. He played forty games. Something. Let like me guess. That. Does your does your stat have to do with assists? No. Oh. I tried to not do the one that you'd expect. People would expect. Okay, good. And this is counterintuitive. I didn't really know what to look into with Teague. He didn't play very much. But I think this goes against 
fan perception. And I think it would also go against what I would think because Teague plays so much with Carl Anthony Towns. Mm -hmm. But for the second consecutive season, the Wolves played meaningfully faster with Jeff Teague on the floor. For everybody who wants to see pace, but for everybody who bemoans Jeff Teague's dribbling the ball into the floor, they play faster with him on the floor, even though he's posting up Cat. You know, twelve times a game. It's just it's a it's an optics thing. Yeah, it's an optics it is. thing. It's, exactly. I, and it what it's something he needs to improve. The the end of the shot clock stuff, yeah. passing grenades to Wiggins or taking them himself, like it, that that's a problem. But that isn't necessarily what killing paces. them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and exactly. And as as we talked about on an, another podcast, the the pace is way up this year. They're playing a lot yeah. faster this season. And with Jeff Teague on the floor, it was. Even, Even faster. Yep. And so, it, yeah, it's I, I wrestle with that too, but that is a that's a good note. Um, his numbers are very similar under both Tibbs and Ryan from a from a counting stat perspective. His he had career high in assists per game, which is super Weird. wild. Yeah, because it doesn't feel like he passed, <laughs> or he just passed out of open three point shots a lot. But um, he shot thirty five point seven percent under Tibbs from three, which is about league average, and under Ryan twenty eight point six. He didn't play a lot of games, though. 25 under Tibbs. He was dinged up the majority of the time there and only 17 games uh, under Ryan. But there's much to be desired from him as a three-point shooter on both volume and effectiveness, and that's disappointing. But uh, the volume, the three-point volume thing is probably the biggest thing with Jeff Teague. Shoot six a game if you're going to play 30 minutes. You're a good enough shooter, Mm -hmm. and People will start to respect it more. His, his game just has not evolved. Yeah, with the the way the league has, and if you, and he's always been a solid three point shooter. Yeah, from a percentage yep, standpoint. From a percentage standpoint, it's just and and having had time around Jeff Teague and his personality, which I actually like, um, it does not he it does not surprise me that he is a player who has not changed the way he plays. Headstrong. He just he just is, and in in, in a kind of a, a cool way, but. I mean, he did rip tips, which was hilarious. A lot. Like, yeah, I would just be like, why aren't we switching, man? Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, he will be obviously a very interesting piece of the offseason, which we've talked about at length. He obviously has his $19 million player option that he's definitely going to uh, opt into, and that is an issue with if you do have Tyus Jones coming back or Derek Rose, who, who plays some point guard too. Uh, the offense, meaningfully better uh, under both Tibbs and Ryan, when Jeff is on the floor, that's a product of being latched on to Cat. And then the the defense was slightly worse when he he played both under Tibbs and Ryan. Uh, net rating-wise, under Ryan, he was really bad. I think he disengaged a lot after Jimmy was traded. That Jimmy was a huge reason why he came yep. to town. He was his friend. And it's that that makes me think that there will be a change with Jeff Teague. I don't think it, it will make him opt out of his his player option, but I think it will make his desire to be traded up. Yeah. And the team's... <laughs> <laughs> well said. Yeah. The, the, the team's desire will also be up. So um, that's all I got on Jeff Teague. Is it, you said he's tradable. You've mentioned that before. Well, but. I mean, anyone, anyone's tradable. It depends how much. No, no, no at 19. Yeah. It's tradable without like sticking a whole yeah, bunch yeah. of picks on him. I wonder. I, I think so. I don't have that like sourced yeah, out yeah, or yeah, anything, yeah. but um, it's one year. And I think there could be a team that sees both an expiring contract and a player that they think they could get value out of. Yeah, he's still, still a valuable player. He, I, I would agree with that. And uh, the, 
a team, maybe with a star who thrived in 2012 or something, like LeBron James, might be interested yeah. in that type of player. And I would not be you know, surprised to see something along those I'll, lines. The happen. Jimmy LeBron Teague Lakers. <laughs> Let's go, baby. <laughs> that sounds, uh, like a, sounds like a pretty good team. <laughs> uh, Tyus Jones. I'll go through his stuff. His, I think, probably more than anyone is, and anyone who's watched the games knows that it was the most different from Tibbs to Ryan, and Tyus has probably been the most vocal in the locker room about how he will always say how much Ryan means to him and how much this opportunity under Ryan has meant to him, and he very much struggled to connect to Tibbs because I think Tibbs didn't have much interest in connecting to him. He wasn't one of Tibbs' guys. Obviously, Tyus was one of the incumbent players on the roster that Tibbs inherited and was only given a shot really in situations that injuries instigated. Mm -hmm. And and Ryan just kind of kind of leaned into him. Uh, I guess if I'd go through his numbers here, minutes were up a ton. He went from averaging five a game to nine a game. I know that's not that big of a scoring thing, but we know that's not who Tyus is. His assists went way up and his turnovers stayed down. If you've somehow missed the stat, Tyus set the all-time NBA record for assist-to-turnover ratio in a season, which is crazy. Kind of wild. Yeah. Yeah. Like by a lot, by like an assist. That's crazy. That that's <laughs> that is six. I think it was six point eight for him in the before that the highest was five point nine wow. to one. And so I think I mean he did deserve some credit there. The net rating for him was up. Even under Tibbs, plus 1.8 when he was on the floor, and as a team, they're plus 0.3. So mm. that is a, a noticeable jump when he played. And under Ryan, uh, the net rating also improved while Tyus played. He's just that type of player. Mm -hmm. We kind of know who he is. The counting stats don't pop. The team analytics do. His shooting stunk this year, though. Yeah. And, and that uh, should be pointed out, 28.8%. From three under Tibbs, 35 under Ryan, and true shooting, he was way, way below average under Tibbs and just below average um, under Ryan. What what makes him likable, aside from mm -hmm. one of us, right, is it's nice to have a player like that who seems to be willing to pass and go to the corner, who's evolving on defense, who seems to – there's no, like, kind of Andrew Wiggins floating, right? He yep. seems engaged at all points and – because he's only 22 or entering at 23, like maybe there's another step. It's not like a star step. It's just sure. like he, maybe he could round out to shooting enough. I think the hard thing is he's probably a backup just because it seems like you could go the whole season with him as your point guard. He's going to keep every player engaged. He's almost kind of like a quarterback in that sense. He, he called himself a game manager. In his yeah. And I don't hate that. I mean, I think that's actually kind of what a football that's team wants in their backup. Impressively self-aware too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most people wouldn't have the confidence to say that about themselves. For sure. I think the issue is you get to the playoffs and it's the Ricky Rubio thing, right? Where it's kind of like all of a sudden it's going to become very obvious that he cannot generate offense himself unless and, you see something differently on film. And defensively exploitable. Yeah. I, I, I think, and I wrote about this in something I wrote recently, is you, you look at the, the Portland game that happened a couple weeks ago. If anyone didn't watch that, they opted to go with Josh Okoge, um, defending Damian Lillard which then put Tyus Jones on Rodney Hood, who's like 6'7". And Hood just licked his chops yep. and was like, I'm going and I'm posting this 5'11 dude up every time. And he he was uh, Hood was 6 of 7 from the field 
in the first half. I think he had like 17 or 19 points, if I remember correctly. And that's what would happen in a playoff series. If it was against a team that had a really good point guard, they would have to they would have to put a Kogi or Covington on yeah. the ball, and Tyus would be left to defend someone else. Mm-hmm. And with most playoff teams, and that, that's Rodney Hood. Like we're not talking about like Clay Thompson or something like that, but most yeah. teams would find ways to go at that. So yeah, I, I think the biggest rip you can have on Tyus Jones is not knowing what type of player he could be. He's five eleven, by the way, because he's listed at six two. He's not. Yeah, I know. I was just curious. I, I, I think he's about my height. I'm about six one. I think he's taller. Than six, six feet. feet. I don't know. I, 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 I know, think man. you're right that he's shorter than he's listed. I, I'm six three and he is noticeably. I mean, I'm six two and he's smaller than me. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, gen- I, I don't know. I said five eleven to. No, 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 to no. Say no. I think it, that was I, under six feet. I but. think. It, I think it's a good point. I. There's got to be a way. Unfortunately, they've so crippled themselves with, the, and this is not Tyus' fault with money. That like you should be able to pay him a reliable backup money, oh, and, totally. and have a starter who can score in the playoffs, right? Mm-hmm. And then he he's a reliable guy if he goes down or can spell minutes or do what a backup's supposed to do. It, well, it's just why he needs somebody who he can split time with. Yeah, because there's going to be matchups where he can play, and there's going to be matchups he can't play. So if I'm he, not against him being the starter next year, but mm-hmm. you got to have a a one B who's bigger. And a better defender than him. Yeah, and you need to have somebody else in that starting lineup who you can kind of under create offense. Did you say a tie stat? No, but I've got it. I think that I generally agree that we kind of know what Tyus is. Um, but if he want if he wants to be a starting point guard on a good team, he I think that he's not only going to need to become a dependable three point shooter, he needs to become a good one. That needs to be a big asset of his. Is Just that, an open catch and shoot threes, and, and he needs yeah. to shoot a lot of them. And so, you know, the good tie stat is the one that you said best assist to turnover rate ever. But a bad tie stat. Here's the list of point guards this season to attempt more than 400 field goals and hit fewer than 40 threes. So this just means such a small portion of their field goals are three-pointers. This is a list. Ben Simmons, Tony Parker. Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons, Tony Parker, Chris Dunn, Alfred Payton, Tyus Jones. Wow. He, I mean, he, he just needs to shoot. He needs to shoot more threes and needs to make more of them. And he never gets the line. That's another one, too. Yeah. Which is, which is part of the reason why his true shooting percentage was... Never gets to the line. Ne- and that's, as Tibbs would tell you, that's the best way to... To get your points, and that's true. I just want to do his total free throws here this season. Where is it? Double 69, yeah. 69 total free throws. Nice. In <laughs> in almost 1,600 minutes. That is it's a good percentage, but yeah. Um, I did put Jared Bayless on my list, mostly just because the stats are comical. <laughs> <laughs> Negative win shares. Dude, it's – well, he only played in – Six games under Thibodeau, but it was like uh, 60 minutes, and his net rating was minus 34.7, <laughs> which means they were outscored by nearly 35 points per 100 possessions. That's terrible. The defensive rating was 130.6, which is terrible, um, and it didn't get much better under Ryan. He shot a ton, did so terribly inefficiently, had a much higher usage rate than, say, Tyus Jones or or Jeff Teague, yeah. he was a ball hog. Took it on himself. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying he didn't have good moments, and I think something that people might not know is he was like the vet in that locker room, which sounds weird because I know he wasn't there very much, but for those young guys, like he, he had a book club with 
huh. Josh Akogi and Kada and uh, it was like a hand. A handful how much of those do you guys. want to be part of that? Like uh, it would just be amazing. That's a like, great Josh, insight. Like Josh, stop talking here. You're going really fast. <laughs> uh, yeah, there was. That's a great insight. Josh Kogi was reading uh, Becoming by Michelle Obama. Yeah. And he was reading it for a really long time. <laughs> and I was like, dude, you're still reading that. It's I, I, so you had that like two months ago. And, uh, but yes. Jared, Jared Bayless was finishing his degree, I believe, right? I, I'm pretty sure Jared Arizona. Bayless is like a really good dude. Yeah. Um, really smart. Uh, and he he is just no longer an NBA caliber player. Yeah, he's 30. So you assume. And he's had a lot of, a lot of injuries. Yeah. And... There, there may be a Taj quality to him that a team may want to, you know, want him in a coaching role or something. I don't know. Maybe, yeah, maybe. I just, I, I think if you play Jared Bayless, your team is going to be. No, no, no. I meant, I no, meant no, actually no, yeah. a coach. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, even under Ryan, which was his much better time of the season, he shot 44.3% true shooting, which is like next level awful. And by far and away the, the worst in the team. The offense cratered when he played and was just as bad as it always is um, defensively. <laughs> Minus 9.7 net rating. That's all we're going to do on Jared Bayless. Power forwards or centers? Centers. Cat. I was going to lead with Gorgie. See what, see what Dane Moore sure. says about his nemesis. It's not my nemesis. He, I'm just kidding. I know. You've been tweeting them. Actually, he's been playing well. He, he I, played well at the end of the season. I'm going to talk about how good or bad a, a player is both and me and Gorgier cool he says hi to me now he did not used to do that so <laughs> if anybody was wondering do you do your Gorgie stat before I run through everything. okay um nine well first of all a little interesting tidbit that I uncovered while looking up the stat is I was on NBA.com and I was looking at mid-range shooting numbers and I was trying to look at how many people attempted two mid-rangers per game each year and this is interesting. In 2016, 137 players did. In 2017, 18, 125 did. And this year, only 90 guys did. So wow. the NBA is, I mean, we know the NBA is getting smarter, but there's just another touch point on it. So 90 NBA players attempted at least two mid-range field goals per game this year. G ranked 13th out of 90 by mid-range field goal percentage at 47%. Last year, his 50% from the mid-range ranked 7th of 125 players. And in 2016-17, his 45% from the mid-range ranked 29th of 137 players. So will you just say those three numbers again, percentages? The, the percentages. This year? This year is 47%. Last year is 50%. The year before is 45%. He's just one of the best mid-range shooters in the whole NBA over that period of time. And I, there is a time and a place to shoot those. I'm not a, yeah. like, I'm not a do the Houston thing and stop shooting them completely. But it is worth pointing out that the league average from three-point land is 36%. Mm -hmm. League average. Mm -hmm. And even the 50% he shot for mid-range yeah. in his best season is the equivalent of 33.3%. Well, that, that's Yeah, third, 36 out. would be a 54% yeah. true shooting percentage. So that 36% from three. And still, I, I think, particularly if he's going to play, and as I think it's important that he is – they find a way to get something out of him next year. I think he has to be able to shoot those shots and that's be okay with that. You obviously want him to be in a lower usage, not doing that super frequently. But when he does have his confidence and he's shooting that shot and he can run dribble handoff and he can be a good screener, there is a value in, in Gorgie Jang in that way. And you need to do whatever you can within reason to, to make him comfortable and confident. And that, you know, that's part of his game. 
he started shooting some corner threes. I actually just asked Ryan at whatever one of the last games, one of Ryan's last avail- availabilities, why doesn't you know why doesn't Gorgie shoot above the break threes, the the longer ones? Yeah. And Ryan said, you know, that's kind of part of the progression. You start with corner threes and you move above the break. What I think is concerning is we've been hearing that about Gorgie Jang for three years. Yeah. Now. And is it possible, even if he does, even if he starts shooting four corner threes a game, is it possible that we'll see a defender care? I, I don't know if it is. I don't know if a defender will ever care. But do, do I mean, they good. really? Well, but if he's shooting them at true, 40%, at like, least, yeah, that's true. That's that don't very care. True. I got. But that's I, it's part hard of the, to get high volume from the corners. But the though. reason you want your big man, especially the big man, if he's going to play next to Cat, Cat to shoot, yes. is because you want the space. So you want that defender out of the painted area, or at least the middle of the yeah. court. So if they're not going to guard him, like you're right, it's nice that he'll at least make him like it's good offense, but it's not doing that much for the team as a whole. So, but I think the the conflict is is you don't want to just leave Gorgie in the corner because that limits what he does well offensively, mm-hmm. which is the best screener on the team. True and operates far and away the best in, in dribble handoff game, which happens at the elbows, which is very high or is very far away from the corner. So to me, if you want to, that's where you want to use him, then you need to find a way where he can pop out mm-hmm. to an above the break three. Yeah. And I, I don't totally understand why that hasn't happened. And what, what Ryan did say is like, you know, it, it's not just one of those things you want to start throwing up throwing on him right away and be like, go go ahead and start doing it. It's it's something you kind of ease into. And he's like, you know, it, it, it's something we've thought about trying to do more, but it would have hurt the team at the end of the season. And as we know, whether it's right or wrong, they were very concerned with trying to win even on the stretch in these in this meeting. That's a, meeting it's just camps. an interesting philosophy. Like, I wonder if that's better. Or if you just said, Gorby, shoot threes. Mm-hmm. If you make 20% of them, that's fine. Look at what Josh Okogie did this year. Absolutely. And like, yeah, it's just interesting. I wonder. He's I, under I, contract for two more years. I, you need him to be able to yeah. make some of those to be able to be a. I might just disagree with that. I, it, I do too. It's crazy to look at just his basic stats that he started 82 games, yeah. power forward with Cat in 16 17. He was playing 32, more than 32 minutes per game. 10 points a night. He has then started KG comes in. Well, so no, that's I'm looking oh, at age 27 started, season yeah. 16, 17. That's right before he signed the contract. I believe he has oh, started he signed it in. He signed it in 2016 summer. So after 2015, okay. So that is the first year under contract. Yeah. So it actually, <laughs> the contract looks fine-ish there. Yeah. I mean, you've, you've written the context of the contract. That's actually not bad compared to what other contracts were signed that summer and stuff, but, but now it is, but now it is. Cause well, he started the, if if you went in with the mindset of Gorgie's going to be our starting power forward or Cat's going to be our power forward, Gorgie's going to be our center, then signing Taj was the dumb thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, and it's, it's it's hard. Like, it just seemed like you wanted one or the other, right? Yeah. And and because Taj offered something in the locker room, and mm-hmm. all, he's generally positive. But like, he has started two games since and played. You know, the last two games of the, the last two games of the season, yeah. and you know, under sixteen minutes a night, and it's just. I think it's hard to kind of transform a player who's going to enter his age 30 season mm-hmm. already under contract. I mean, it's almost one of those situations you talk about in the Wolves perspective. They, they would like to get out from under the contract. His agent probably does too. And he does. He probably would rather go somewhere that he could just play more and kind of build his value up again. Or he just would like a consistent role here. I don't, he's not naive enough to think that he should be cutting into cats minutes or something like no, that. No, 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 like, for sure. Um, but I think he'd like to play with cat more. I think he made that he pretty clear. That, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. 
so he he played 13.6 minutes a game under Tibbs in 40 games, 13.5 under Ryan in 36 games. Uh, his numbers were his counting stats were better under Ryan. Um, I think it's it's interesting if you look at his offense and defensive rating that the team was so so much worse um, from an offensive rating standpoint when he played. Of course, that's a product of playing with without Cat. That everyone else, players who play with Cat, their offensive rating is driven up. It's a team yeah. stat. But the offense was terrible um, when when Gorgie played this year. But the defense was a lot better um, in both under Tibbs and under Ryan yeah. when when Gorgie played. So I think you do have a defensive center in there who can be a solid backup defensive center. He's the best communicator on the team defensively, and I think he gets it. Yeah. Particularly if he's confident. Especially, like, yeah, that second half of the year. It yeah. looked like he he bounced back a bit on defense. So, I don't know. His his, his team, number, I mean, his net ratings are bad, but that's a yeah. that's a product of, of not playing with Cat. Let's move on to Cat. Um, I don't know, maybe even bigger than Tyus, the, the difference the in... The oh, yeah. I'm just saying the difference between oh. versus Tibbs <laughs> and versus Ryan. Yeah. No, Tyus is, we're not sure if he's going to get $5 million yeah. a year. And Cat's uh, <laughs> going to get a $5 million raise. So those are, uh, those, are, those are big differences. 22 a game for Cat under Tibbs, 27 under Ryan. Um, rebounds the same. He assisted more um, under Ryan, as we obviously know. He started getting doubled in the post, kicking out effectively there. That might have been a skill change, though, right? It seemed like, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, yeah, he got better. He yeah, got yeah, better okay. at, yeah. at passing out of the post, for sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, and also the the hockey assists, as they call it, um, th- those are for sure up yeah. uh, in under Ryan. Well, they got him better at passing out of the post because they just made him do it over and over mm-hmm. and over again, and they started to implement at least a little bit more motion around him, mm-hmm. more, more cutting. And th- these numbers are and why I believe he's going to make an all-NBA team is if you split the second half of the Ryan time, the last – 21 games cats numbers are even better than this but if you take the ryan time as a whole and remember i said 56 percent yep true shooting is the average in 37 games under ryan it was 64.5 oh my god which is and on a very high usage 29.8 so he i mean and taking difficult shots and obviously he's different than steph curry i've made this comparison before but it's <laughs> it's that same type of offensive weapon a very high usage very efficient shooter yep. and and as cat is very much helped by his free throw shooting in that way too when he's getting to the line uh both under tibbs and under ryan the offense was obviously noticeably better when he played and i think also interesting too is the defense was a lot better when when cat played both under tibbs and under ryan i think there's this narrative being spun or i've heard people say if cat can make the jump defensively that he did this year, which I would call from bottom 10% center defensively in the league Mm -hmm. to maybe like 40th percentile this year. Yeah. Um, Or like bottom third almost. Something like that. But it would be to to double down on that jump and become a 60th, 70th percentile defender, that would be massive. And I think that's maybe a little overzealous. Yeah. Maybe the hope is he's average. Totally. Uh, defensively next season. But it should be noted that he did not just do amazing things offensively this season. He statistically, film, eye test, whatever, was a, a much better defender yeah. this season. But and, and that offense, just proving it more and more and more that you are 
probably, I mean, one of the most versatile scorers of all time. That may that that just kind of proves to you if he does become that 60th, 70 percentile defender, mm-hmm. boom, he's one of the best three players in the NBA. Yes, or five, whatever. And that's possible. You, you yeah. used to, you know, you could see a world with Josh Okogi. I can I can see yeah. a world of of that too. I think it's going to take time. And it's going to take the the right coach. Yep. To instill that in him. I'm not saying Ryan doesn't know his X's and O's. I'm saying so far Ryan has not shown the ability to get players to understand those yeah. X's and O's. That might be a training camp thing. I mean, or something like that or off season. I think and and Cat has to have a personal the his assistant who works with him on an individual level. The, the whoever that guy is next year, whether it's Malik Allen or someone else, like that is your job. Like Get Cat to – he cares about defense. We know he cares. Get him to understand it, and and that will be – the ceiling rises as his understanding rises of who and what he can be defensively. And this team beca- – even if you're, you're still screwed as it relates to cap space, this team becomes something different because they're going to be the mm-hmm. fifth to tenth best offense. So if they can become the 15th best so. defense – then they're a playoff team no matter what, no matter yes. who you have around them. I think they I, – off of that, I think I think they will definitely be that good of an offense next season, and I wouldn't be surprised if they're a top-five offense. Was, were they 11th this year? Yeah. So Under they, Ryan, I think it came in somewhere between 7th and 9th really there, close. There seems to be a floor of about 11th because they were mm-hmm. 12th on offense, Cats rookie year, 11th this year. That mm-hmm. seems to be yes. about the floor. And that's a pretty good four. Yeah. Offensively. <laughs> so and especially with what they went through this year, that they were the eleventh mm-hmm. best offense. That's kind of amazing. I've just a couple quick cat stats. I have some favorites. I love the wind shares one. I've talked about it before. Wind shares since he was drafted goes Harden, Curry, Kevin Durant, LeBron James, Giannis, Carl Anthony Towns. He was Carl Anthony Towns is the only player ever to put up a thousand rebounds and a hundred threes in a season, and he's done it twice. He was <laughs> Eight rebounds and no, he was like forty rebounds and eight threes away from getting a thousand and one hundred fifty threes this year. Wow. He'd obviously be the only player to do that. But I dug up a new one. So the only players who have made more than a hundred threes at greater than a forty percent clip during each of the last two years, and this is just a list of the best three point shooters in the NBA. Yeah. I think Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Bojan Bogdanovic, Joe Harris, Buddy Heald, Kyrie Irving, Carl Anthony Towns. Wow. Just, he's one of the seven best three-point shooters in the NBA. Not He doesn't quite have the volume or the shot creating No, I mean, that's crazy, but, though. Yeah. And he's a lot taller than all those guys. Yeah, <laughs> if, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, kind of been interesting is some people have been unveiling their all-NBA ballots. I know I listened to uh, Zach Lowe and Tim Bontemps do theirs, and neither of them had Cat. Mm-hmm. And Lowe, who I think we all respect, he did say I had him on until these last couple weeks because not because Cat hasn't played well, but because Rudy Gobert has played so well, and he that's what that's at least how I took what Zach Lowe said. I heard that, that part, but I heard oh okay, but maybe and, I misinterpreted, and, and maybe I did too. But that's at least Cat did play I, worse the last. I, two I weeks. yeah, I think it also fair or unfair. I don't think any anyone who's actually analyzing the Wolves would go. They're not good because Cat's not doing enough, right? But that yeah. that becomes the common refrain, right? That the, no, the star I, yeah, player doesn't. Yeah. But from a league perspective, so not someone covering the team specifically, it is fair to say 
I want to choose people on winning teams. Yeah. I, I think it is. And and I think Utah, I, I'm assuming the Rockets will throttle, right? But maybe it's a better series than I think. It's a 4-5. I think it, it might be a good series. Yeah. So And that and that's an inter, interesting team, and he plays an, an important role. And I think there's, as much as it's not Cat's fault, it's better to be a, a good player on a winning team than it is a good player on a losing team. Mm-hmm. Fair or unfair. Right. No, and and that that's they, they said that too, and Lowe acknowledged that you know Bradley Beal is on an even worse team than Cat is, but he put him on because there wasn't a Rudy Gobert mm-hmm. who was also yeah in right. that kind yeah. of realm in in that area that would push Beal out. So it that'll be interesting, and as as we know, it's a it I think there a, are a big. Yeah, but to your point, Tom, I think there are people around the national media who thinks who think that Carl Anthony Towns has empty stats. Yeah, and that is not a winning player, and and that's just and I don't I don't like either. I think both of those are false. However, I think it is fair to say those aren't empty empty stats. But a you have the alternative and go bear, and b I want to reward players on winning teams. I think that's fair. It would be part of what I factored into my decision is how good you. I still think there's a great case for Cat. I just. He does have someone who could take his spot. Yep, and I I don't know. I don't know what that's. It's going to be close. If you had a vote, do you know what you do? It's hard because you cover the team, and some people would actually I, prefer not to vote. But yeah, I I don't. I, I would like to think that this isn't biased, but I mean, I've spent a good amount yeah, of time yeah. looking at it, and I would vote Towns. Yeah, I I think that Rudy Gobert is the best defensive center in the NBA, and I think Cat is the best offensive center in the NBA. I know this is really simplifying it, but offense is. I, much more I, meaningful. I hear you on that, and it at, less Even so at the center. Yeah. Less so at the center position, but I, I, you have nobody else who can approximate what Cat can do offensively in the NBA. Yeah. As a big man, and there are approximations of Rudy Gobert. Yeah. One of which will make the probably the first team All NBA, which is Joel Embiid. Yeah, and not only is Cat like the best offensive center in the league, but the difference between Cat and average is as an offensive center yes. is so big. The, the value he provides on the offensive end is unparalleled at his position. Well, it's like Rudy Gobert is like yeah. the average offensive center. And true. True. Yeah. Very, I mean, maybe. Um, all right, let's do the, let's do the power forwards here. Um, Dario Sarge start there. Yeah. So he was um, another one who, it, it, as I said at the beginning of the pod, surprised me that his stats are almost the same under both Tibbs and Ryan, uh, about 24 minutes per game under both of them, about 10 points per game under both of them, five and a half rebounds under both of them, exactly one and a half assists under both of them, 37 from three under Tibbs, 39 under Ryan, which I think let's put a pin in that. That's really encouraging to see that his three-point numbers were awesome here. True shooting is about the same, both above league average at about 58% um, in average sort of usage. And then uh, under Tibbs, and this, I think this is a product of Dario kind of finding his footing. The offense was a lot worse when he played. And the defense was a lot better. Which well, he I was think, also playing with the bench. And that's, yeah. I was going to say, and that's... Both sides of the ball. That's both sides of it. Um, and then under Ryan, he, it, there was little change. The offense was slightly worse, and the defense was slightly better. Uh, I don't know. I, I think there's kind of been this stirring sort of idea that Dario's been a little underwhelming. And I think what that, the genesis of that is that him and Kat have not really lifted each other up yeah. yet. And I think that's only kind of true because what do you want the power forward next to Kat to do offensively? <laughs> H- 
threes. Spread the floor. Spread the floor, yeah. hit threes. Cut. I mean, and cut. <laughs> Dario can do both of those things. I don't know if that was totally tapped into. Yeah. But I don't think... But he was, I think overall, since he was traded for, he was the best cutter on the team. Holistically throughout the year. I think so. Other than I the saw, wall. Other than Luol. But yeah, <laughs> but just like in volume, he played yeah. so much more than Luol. He, he's just a consistent cutter. Yeah. And, and so is there a better power forward fit alongside Cat in the league? Sure. But that player is not making $3 million next year and Nobody. On, on the team. Yeah. Well, is he? No, t- is, he is Robert Covington? What do you mean? Is it he a better power forward fit next to Cat than Dario Sarch? Let's not get into we, that. We don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Um, Sarch also could be a trade piece. He's going to enter 25. But that's like, what I was going to kind of go with it next, where I was like. Not, not, I'm not saying to get rid of. I'm saying like literally to get value back. To, or to get off of something else. Yeah. I just, I think you hurt the team a lot. Yeah, you, I don't, I don't, I don't love Sarge. it, but it, it's an option if, if it has to go that way. Yeah, maybe, it, maybe not even in the offseason. Maybe like a trade deadline deal or something. I don't know. And that. That will be up to the new Pobo, of course, but I don't know. I I, I really think you should be pretty encouraged yeah. by, by by the front court that they have. Here's a Dario stat. I got this from you, Dane. The Cat Sarich two man lineup of all the Timberwolves two man lineups to play more than six hundred minutes, which is twenty two man lineups. Cat and Sarich was the third best by net rating, mm-hmm. but the most important part of that to me and. I, I dug into this stat because he had a weird year, but the way that he fits next to Towns is the most important part of mm. how Dario Saric fits with this team going forward. The defensive rating when Saric and Cat played together was 108.6, which would be, if extrapolated, would be the NBA's 12th best defense. Mm. And that, to even have them show, you know, no training camp, all that stuff, trade middle of the season, to show that they can even be an okay, like borderline defense, I think is huge and very encouraging. I thought in line with that stat that I wrote, it was interesting. I was, I was talking about Dario Sarge's up for a a contract extension. If both sides deem that interesting and it's, that's what Gorgie Jang did. We know that's how he got this four year, $64 million contract. It was a contract extension the year before his rookie deal was up exactly where Dario is. And in that season, he also had the third best net rating on the team over 600 minutes. Hmm. And it was also exactly plus (laughs) 2.8, which is, I I think, a a part of the reason why Gorgie got that was at the time, I know it seems silly now, but the belief was we have a a low usage power forward that we can play alongside Cat. And the league was a little bit different three years ago where you weren't like, you need a stretchy type big. So, I, I don't know. They it, obviously a different regime, but on the defense, they, you got to think about that too. They bought into the idea that this player fits well alongside Cat, and they gave him a big contract. I am of the mind that let's give it a year with Dario. There's no need to rush this, and if it is not, in fact, the what we hope it could be, and we see that next year in 70, 80 games, then. It's okay to pivot mm-hmm. off of that, and I you just can't afford, you can't afford to give Dario Saric a four-year, sixty-four million dollar deal if he is not your ideal big man pairing next to Cat. I think he very well could be. I don't think we know that yet. Yeah, I agree with you, Taj Gibson. Um, you want me to go? Yeah. All right. I'm going to make my case is not a real case, but statistically for why Taj Gibson is the best free agent signing the Timberwolves have ever had. 
So I tried to go through and think about it. So please, after you listen to this, tweet at me and tell me who I forgot about. I tried to go back and think about who the best free agent at signings. At C. John's NBA yes. on Twitter. Thank we're, you. we're talking not extension, right? Someone from another team. Yeah, free agent signings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. So I, I thought of Joe Smith. I thought of Troy Hudson, Trenton Hassel, Fred Hoiberg, Terry Porter, Kevin Martin, Jeff Teague, Taj Gibson. Those were the guys I thought of. And so I went back and looked at who produced the most win shares, which is a cumulative stat, which is why I looked at it, to try to look at who kind of produced the most value and in their first two seasons because that's how many Taj Gibson has played. And Taj Gibson produced 12.3 win shares, number one of all those guys. Fred Hoiberg, number two, 11.3. Joe Smith, 8.4. Terry Porter, 7.9. So I just think Taj Gibson has been the most valuable free agent the Timberwolves have ever signed. Which is interesting because at the time we were kind of like, eh, 228, that seems a little yeah. spendy for him. And you but probably I, would have said that Teague was more important mm-hmm. when they signed him. And yes, I think I think Taj lived up to that. And I, everyone will say, well, off the court he was a great guy. But on the court, as you point out, his production was there as well. It was We got the chance to kind of do an exit interview with him uh, in the locker room before the last game. And he said he was – interested in the idea of coming back. I, I do earnestly believe that he liked it here, um, despite all the noise, uh, which is different, I would say, than Jeff Teague, for example. Um, more comfortable. What his market value is, I'm not sure, and I think that will be the determining factor. What I'm concerned about is he was a lot worse once he came off the bench. Maybe that's just a product of where they were at in the season. Uh, his net rating from under Thibodeau goes from plus 3.3 to minus 9.6 hmm. under Ryan. And the role for him, if he were to return, is a 18, 19-minute-a-night backup big mm-hmm. that completely stops shooting threes. That's a little concerning. Also, when we've talked about how Gorgie isn't really doing that either, I don't know. It would need to be a very enticing salary yeah. for, for me to be interested in that. I love what I love what we've seen from from yeah. Tasha's here and uh, absolutely he he was brought in as a timber bull and he became a timber wolf absolutely there you go <laughs> um, let's do it let's do Anthony Tolliver real quick his numbers are actually from a, a team standpoint are really bad and the context of that is he stopped playing mm-hmm. right after the trade which is when which was the best twenty two games of the season when Covington played that's when Tolliver was removed from the lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he, under Tibbs, had a minus 7.3 net rating, which is the worst of anybody who was playing real minutes during that time. He still shot 40% from three. You know what he is, a good vet, a good defensive player. Uh, his his numbers kind of went down a little bit, 36 from three under Ryan, but he showed that he still has what made him yep. an intriguing free agent signing this you know th- this past year. Um, I don't think he's like lost value really I don't think so either uh so if you're an injury replacement you're gonna have terrible on off stats because by nature you're playing when somebody gets hurt (laughs) so the team gets worse right um my assumption he's gone I think he serves more value on a different team yeah than he does this one that has Dario Sarge Cat and Jang all under contract next year that said if the market's soft or hard however you put that for him <laughs> um of course i'd be interested in having him back he's uh he's he's been a, a good piece for yeah. his team and a just a really solid dude yeah that is everyone 
Or actually, there's a there's a. You want to rattle through your guys who we didn't. All right, I'll give a couple quick stats. I we we didn't do Rocco, KBD, Luol Deng, or Cam Reynolds because they did not play under under yeah. both players. But I'll just give a couple quick both stats. Coaches, yeah. Anthony Tolliver, every year since 2013-14, has made more than 200 threes at a higher than 36% rate. That's, That's really crazy. Good. The only other players on that list with Anthony Tolliver are Steph Curry, Kyle Korver, Clay Thompson, and Wes Matthews. It's pretty good company. Definitely. Cam Reynolds was tough to find a good stat on. because How about just his like, game 82, man? He was ball. Yeah. Hey, I, honestly, the highball test, uh, again, is it maybe a testament to Leighton that like he found a... He was he played it too late. It's not like he he was a guy who you know grew up overseas or something. You're like right, that. you're right, but I don't want to give testaments to Layden. <laughs> well, I, I know, and and I think when I do that, I actually don't love the if he's cool. back, he's back. But you know, like it's uh, sometimes it's good to look at the other side, and yeah. I guess that's what I'm doing. Thirty-eight rookies attempted at least fifty-three pointers this season. Cam Reynolds attempted 51. <laughs> but he ranked second behind only Landry Shamit by three-point percentage. Wow. Josh Okogie ranked 35th. Kata Bates-Diop ranked 38th. That, so. that is a concerning thing with Kata that we've talked about yeah. before is he's not been the spot-up shooter, we hoped. Yep. So that's my Cam Reynolds stat. I like Cam Reynolds. Robert Covington. I think the biggest thing about Robert Covington, not only that he's just the second-best player on the team, but that he's so important for Carl Anthony Towns. He's such a good fit on both sides of the ball to be in a lineup with Carl Anthony Towns. So when Cat and Covington shared the floor, the Wolves' defensive rating was 105.3, which would extrapolate, extrapolate to be the third-best defense in the league, which well, when I say that, that's disingenuous. That's dumb. Every team has a bench that's worse than their starting unit, mm -hmm. but it's just kind of... a a comparison right. that would theoretically be the third ranked defense in the league. And as a useful touch point last year, when Jimmy Butler and Carl Anthony Towns shared the floor, they would have been about the 11th best defense in hmm. the league. So interesting. I think that's just huge that what Robert Covington does is so impactful for cat. You got a Luol stat. Yes, I do. I have two Luol stats. Um, one, the best net, net rating on the team. Yeah. Well, By no, far. that's kind of that's a little too bit. obvious. Well, kind of, but if, if you sort every two-man lineup that the Wolves have by, by those who have played more than 100 minutes, which is tons of lineups, <laughs> Luol Deng is featured in five of the best six lineups. Cat and Deng is the best one. It's plus 18 per 100 possessions. Ooh. And do you, do you, I have a stat. Sorry, yeah. quick stat. No, no, no. During Please. your stat. Please. I love, I love looking at the official nicknames. <laughs> That's <laughs> on, a on basketball reference. That's a stat. <laughs> it is a stat. You guys are haters. Um, do you want to guess what his nickname is? No idea. There's one that's the man from Sudan. Oh, that's the, great. The second one is Dangerous. <laughs> oh, that one's terrible. <laughs> but it's listed officially on the national <laughs> reference. O officially. It's official. Okay, I could just one more to wrap Sorry. it up. <laughs> Let's step into this hypothetical, wor hypothetical world where you can play the same basketball player at two different positions. So you could play Cat at power forward and center. This mm -hmm. is just yeah. dumb. But Josh Okoge and Andrew Wiggins combined to play 4,300 minutes this season. They combined produced 1.8 win shares. Luol Deng produced 0.1 win shares per 48 minutes of action. So if you could have played two Luol Dengs anytime Andrew Wiggins or Josh Okoge were on the floor, you'd put Luol Deng in there. The Wolves would have theoretically, if you extrapolate Luol Deng's production, mm -hmm. produced eight more win shares, which is about eight more wins. Wow. Which puts them in the playoffs? No, it'll be forty-four wins. Still short. Still short. But that's but eight, that I mean, wins. I mean, yeah. it's just amazing to look at 
even though Josh Okogie had a great rookie year, he's just mostly an unproductive player. Yeah. Andrew Wiggins, the same. They waste not wasted, but so many minutes were invested in those two this season. Right. Let's touch on um, Ryan Saunders and Scott Layden briefly. I know this is going a little long, but it's our last kind of Wolves deep dive of the year. And this did, is did you mention we're going to still do podcasts during the playoffs? <laughs> Sorry, I just I think it is good to reinforce that NBA playoff podcast. Yeah, yes, actually, and Dave Benz will join us on Tuesday. That'll be our last Wolves. And, and who knows? There could be Wolves news because they're the Timberwolves and things happen. Oh, that's true. I mean, there's going to be yeah, a decision soon. will be yeah. made probably very soon. But um, I guess just to touch on the conflicting reports of Woj versus The Athletic and Krasinski, um, I, I, I'm just frustrated with the fact that it's both Saunders and Layden are kind of put into the same pot. Those are very yeah. different things. Very, very much agree. We've talked about Saunders at length. There are pluses and minuses. And uh, um, a, a very fair argument can be made that Ryan should should not be the head coach and that they should – Conduct a search and and look look elsewhere, which allegedly <laughs> look at Dave Yeager. <laughs> <laughs> um, but my assumption is that Ryan is almost definitely going to be back, and therefore that goes in one bin, and then and then the the laden report from Woj that you know that they are looking to move on with not move on from but move on with Scott Layden is disheartening and not smart no if if you are saying that the only way you can justify scott lading returning is to say that he had nothing to do with the transactions other than drafting katie bates diop and josh Akohi, and then the second that's Jimmy pretty Butler convenient trade. to take credit for the good and then put the bad <laughs> yes. on the but it the the you cannot you cannot and i have this is up at the site it's it's very long i go through every single transaction that has been made over the past three years and they are not good no if you i mean if you scan through them i think and you were fair with the butler one like the butler one's always yeah i I highlighted there was there was there's positive ones in there i'm not like i i don't i don't rip on every single one of them you know i credit for the the taj gibson signing and i mean moves that were made but the the three that that i think are most important to hit on are Andrew Wiggins, and that contract is obviously bad, but the process of it is even worse. Mm-hmm. You did not need – he was not a free agent, and you gave him a five-year maximum extension before he hit, hit what, free agency. What if that's not a Tibbs, though? What if it's an ownership? What if that's – I don't care. Okay. He, I, it, we can't it, parse that it, out. It, it, yeah, it, yeah, we, yeah. we can't parse that out. It happened, and he did not have to do that. He and could he's have supposed to be the boss. Yes, and it, it's not unprecedented – to, to let a good player that's not a great player wait until they hit restricted free agency. And the example is Gordon Hayward in Utah years back. They said, we're not giving you a contract extension. We'll see what your market is once you hit free agency. And they did that. He signed an offer sheet with the Charlotte Hornets, and the Jazz matched it and brought him back. It made the total salary smaller, and it was only because it could have only then been four years. And that's what happened. They could have done that with Andrew Wiggins. And they did, they did not do that. They gave him everything that he could have possibly received. So the, my counterpoint to that, I agree that that's the best method. I want to be clear with that. And I only inter- interject with the ownership thing because there were rumors that Tibbs actually wanted to offload Wiggins and get a better trade with the Butler deal, right? Sure. Um, 
but the owner isn't going to be like, Glenn might have said, I really want to keep Andrew, and I do believe yeah, yeah, that yeah. that's what happened. But the owner, Glenn Taylor, is not. He, Glenn he's Taylor not, he's not, not the basketball boss. No, whatever. but yeah. Glenn Taylor would not say, I really want to keep Andrew Wiggins, and I want to pay him as much money as we possibly can. <laughs> yes. That, yes. That, that, that's, that sure? No, 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 that's fair. Are you sure? <laughs> my, my only two things with Gordon Hayward is. Game of Zones, man. Great, great cartoon <laughs> I'm going to need to watch that. Glenn Taylor. Um, with Andrew Wiggins, first overall. Gordon Hayward ninth, and, and that that is a difference. That's and, a good point. Yeah, and and did that decision then fact in factor in when Gordon Hayward said, "Bye Utah, I'm going to go to Boston." I don't know. Yeah, I, no, I, you know did. what I mean. I, it did, but yeah, but that it's an opportunity cost calculation. Sure, sure. And I just wanted to bring those two up. Nope, that, that's good. Yeah, but there, there, there's three. I, I don't want to linger too long on Wiggins because my point is that there are three, and there are more bad bad moves that happen too. But there are three terrible ones. The other is Gorgie Jang, which we hit on, which was also a contract extension before he was up for free agency. That and, and to your point, Tom, he was the 21st or 22nd pick. He was not that they gave they signed him before they needed to in an offseason that they, we knew there was more cap space and thus players were going to be getting paid more than they ever would. And they paid him his market value. And that was that was not a good move. Obviously. It, it's it was even worse because it was a contract extension, and then it thus extended five years for Gorgie, which makes it worse than Timofey Mozgov, Luol Deng, Joakim Noah, because those were bad contracts for four years in the future. Gorgie is on for an extra year because it was an extension. That was a bad move. Then the one that we forget about sometimes is they offered Shabazz Muhammad four years and $40 million that same season as the Gorgie Jang deal. That would have been a terrible, <laughs> terrible – you think they're in a crippling spot right now? There would have been two years and $20 million left on the Shabazz Muhammad deal. And what we now know about Shabazz Muhammad right now is he plays in China. <laughs> yeah. It, there's, a, there's only one excuse for, for thinking that hiring Scott Layden or making him the boss is a good idea, and that's because you want to save money. Even yes. if you want to say that he was Tom Thibodeau's remote control, as you put it in your article – then what in the world? Why do you want him back? No, because he, does you want he to not have a mind that. of his own. I, he was the boss. And also he has demonstrated both in his interactions with the media and in the way that he let the Tom Thibodeau, Jimmy Butler situation play out yep. a massive level of unprofessionalism. You can't that, be the that, boss of an organization fair. and let that public display with your head coach and your best player and also your other best player who's being treated like shit. You can't let that happen. Yep. And then you can't go to the media and tell them that they're bad at their job and whatnot. Yeah. And no, I, no, I wasn't even there. So don't I, I, think I, this is a personal thing. Go back to the owner for a second. From Glenn's <laughs> standpoint, he's got to clean, clean this up. Like he just, and he can take a year, but he's got to, the, the, the wolves need to be under like kind of purge from the Tibbs era. Right. Mm -hmm. Ryan is, I know he's an assistant, but he's for obvious reasons, not a Tibbs guy or whatever. He's not, you know, tied to that directly. Scott is. And, um, I think Glenn's also got to avoid the narrative that they're just being cheap. It's fine to retain Ryan. Even if part of that is because it's less money, and because I think he's qualified. I, with Scott, he's done well. He's done bad. Sometimes it's like, he, it's also switch? being cheap. If they still hire a president of basketball operations ahead of him, because, that is making the decisions above him. It's cheap because you're like, okay, well, we don't want to pay another million, $2 million to a new general manager. And we just have Scott. It's just kind of a placeholder position. That's not justifiable. He is attached to one of the darkest situations in the history of a dark franchise. And, and his past before the Wolves is not bright. Yes. It, yeah. I mean, I, and I've said this before, 
and I think everyone would acknowledge it's very difficult to assess executives. We don't know what goes on every day. We don't know what the scouting is like. We don't know all that, that. But at the end of the day, you are assessed by the major moves you make. And there are more major moves than those three terrible ones that I just brought up that suggest that the laden and Thibodeau regime was not good at being an executive. Yeah. As a boss, you're you're evaluated by some combination of your organization's success and the culture that you implement. And he, you know, unless making the playoffs was amazing, which it was great, but, but, but he failed were, on both fronts. People weren't fooled by that. No, people were no. kind of like, yeah, I they they need a a big change here. Well, I, and particularly when you talk about a culture shift, it's like we, if that if that's the thing, then do we want to touch touch on Yeager? Do you want to wait on that? Jaeger uh, Jaeger's an available coach, and he's from Minnesota, and he's a really good coach. I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> and we, they should we don't hire, know. They should hire him. <laughs> yeah, if they could, but you don't know that no. that that is certainly possible. And like, let let's let's see what happens. I think there are better coaches out there than Ryan Saunders. One of which is Dave Jaeger. I personally think it's okay if Ryan returns. You put in the infrastructure around him to succeed, yeah. which starts with an elite president of basketball operations and not Scott Layden, because then they put together a staff and a plan for the future of the franchise. The future can work with Ryan Saunders. I, I don't know. Yeah, well I mean, said. it could work better with somebody else, but there's a lot of those somebody's out there. And I, I, it's it just, it, it, I think it's a fruitless conversation because I'm fairly certain that Ryan is going to yeah. return. I'm not reporting it. I just, my assumption and is that he comes. I, back. I actually like it. The only the only thing that gives me pause is Dave here because maybe he's a long term coach mm-hmm. here because he wants the job and he's good and and he is he is a very good coach. Yeah. All right, thanks for sticking with this podcast. Uh, we went a little bit long, but this was, I think it was good. it was a good exercise for me to to peel through all the players and you know I will listen back to this podcast in the fall and to yeah. be like. All right, that's what I was, you know. That was the vibe. Feeling at the time in my very tired <laughs> state. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that, that, that's what we have. with Again, and as Tom has pointed out, we will continue to be um, recording podcasts throughout the whole year. I'm excited about that and figuring out exactly what our vibe is with the NBA class. But theoretically, if you like me, Tom, and Charlie, as the way that we cover the Timberwolves, we'll try and bring a lot of – the same thing outside of the access um, to to the NBA playoffs, and I think I think that'll be interesting. I'm spend a lot of time on the Timberwolves this year, and there's better basketball being played elsewhere. <laughs> and I'm excited to and to, also to we'll, we'll be writing about yeah. the Wolves still, and and maybe even guys oh, touch on the playoffs and stuff. So. It's going yeah. to be a, a a critical off season, but there will be that won't happen for a couple months. And when that yeah. happens, we'll be back here. Stay tuned. To all of our stuff at Zone Coverage, at Zone Coverage MN. Tom's at T. Schreier 3. Charlie is at C. John's MBA. I am at Dane Moore MBA. Thank you again. Uh, we appreciate what was a fun season, and I, I can't wait for next year. So until then, peace out. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. 
Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.